Acts chapter 27, verses 20 through 22. You may remember that we've got, it's kind of like, as I said, Gilligan's Island. You can go up and you can see, uh, let's use that um, bottom map, Paul's journey to Rome, AD 57 through 62. You can see where they started on the right as far as Caesarea, and they make it over to the area of Crete, and you can see um, Fair Havens, that's... Um, spot where they were that was not the best place to harbor for the winter so they're looking at the harbor of phoenix which doesn't look like it's very far and that's true that's only about a 50 mile trip that should have been just a few hours but even though that should have been just a few hours this turns into a two-week trip now you imagine wanting to spend just a few hours out in the sea and now you've got two weeks and it's not just two weeks of calm this is two weeks of absolute typhoon weather it's like living through a hurricane for two weeks. People uh, go through hurricanes, and sometimes it's a day or so, and they will talk about how bad it is, but they're able to be on land and maybe able to flee from part of it. But that's what is being described in Acts chapter 27. And as you get down to verses 20 through 22, you have some additional information as far as what was taking place during that time. Let's read it. And when neither sun nor stars shone upon us for many days... And no small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved was now taken away. And when we had been long without food, then Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have set sail from Crete and have gotten this injury and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. You think Paul was pretty frustrated? I mean, he's warned them before they start off on this, you know, very short trip. There's going to be injury. There's going to be loss. This is going to be a disaster. And now they're out there in this boat. They're in the midst of a hurricane for many days. It's going to end up being about two weeks. Uh, how would you feel if you had told them and it's just as you described? I think some people would really want to let them have it. But he does seem to show some restraint. He could have really laid into them, but he does seem to hold back just a little bit. He does tell them, though, look, I was exactly right. He stands forth in the midst of them. And would you say that he's respectful or is he not respectful? He is. He says, sirs, he's kind. He's, um, again, using some moderation as far as how he's addressing people. And he reminds them, hey, we should not have sailed from Crete because there was going to be injury and loss. Now, some see that as an I told you so kind of rebuke. Maybe. But I'm not sure that Paul was that petty. It could be that he's doing something else. Uh, I'm calling to mind what I told you for what reason? Not to rub it in. There would be some people who perhaps would do that. But I'm bringing this to mind to do what? Yeah, you didn't listen to me the first time. If you don't listen to me this time, it's not just going to be bad. We're going to die. So I have built a little credibility, hopefully, with you because you can see that I was correct before. And now it's imperative for the people in leadership positions. It's imperative for the people who are going to make some decisions to follow the instructions this time. One source, and I've got a couple of quotes that I want to share with you in this class, and this is the first. He says, we get ourselves into storms for the same reasons, impatience, that's what you see in verse 9, or accepting expert advice is contrary to God's will, following the majority and trusting ideal conditions, Acts 27 and verse 13, and then he that believeth shall not make haste, Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. It certainly pays to listen to God's word. Now, if you were on this ship, and you were familiar with what Paul had said, and now you can see how things are going, and they're not going very favorably. Do you think that you might be looking to Paul this time? I mean, you can't stop the hurricane, obviously. But do you think you might be 
a little more inclined to see what Paul has to say now, if he's going to open his mouth? I'm thinking if you knew this way back when, and we didn't listen to you, now we have disaster upon disaster. So if, if there's any word from you, uh, we'd, we'd like to at least hear it. So he uh, does affirm that he does have a word. He does say that there is hope. He says the ship, what's going to happen to it? It's toast. It's not going to be saved. But what else is true? What's not going to be lost? All right, life is not going to be lost. And we're going to see that as we get down into verses 23 and 24, there is an angel which gives him some message as far as what he's communicating to people. I do think that there are a couple of points here, though, that um, typically we don't think about. When we look, for example, back in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8, verses 23 and 24, Jesus is on this boat. And there are two things about that. Uh, it's a storm. And do you remember anything about Jesus in a really bad storm? Luke 8, 23 and 24. All right, that's one of the points. Any other point? Yeah, there's that too. Um, but from Luke 8, 23 and 24, there's one of the little detail. What's Jesus doing? Yeah, that's the one. Was Paul sleeping here during the storm? No, it looks like he's up along with the rest of the folks because it's like a, a cyclone. It's like a hurricane out there. So it's interesting to me that Jesus is pictured as sleeping. Paul's not doing that. And then that point that Teresa brought out just a minute ago. Jesus stills the storm. Paul doesn't. Maybe he didn't have that authority. Maybe he didn't have that power over nature as an apostle. I don't know. It's kind of interesting to me. We know he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was one of the things that the apostles had. But he does not make, at least as far as we know, any attempt to stop the storm. One source pointed out how there are some people, they try to make some parallels between Jonah and what happened here with Paul and the ship. And he suggested, and I think this is correct, if there are any points, they would be points of contrast. Jonah, as he says, he's a prophet sailing to the west. He was running from his God and endangering all the Gentiles with him. You see that in Jonah 1, 6 through 10. Here we have the one who serves God. He's also going west, but he's going in obedience, and God saves the lives of those who are with him. So two dramatic differences. All right, that brings us down to verses 23 through 26 in Acts 27. Anything that you want to add or ask before we move down there? Okay, Acts 27, 23. Paul says, For there stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am, whom also I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must stand before Caesar. And lo, God hath granted thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, and it shall be even as it hath been spoken unto me, but we must be cast upon a certain island. Anybody remember what the Hebrew writer says about angels in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14? Are they not all what kind of spirits sent forth to do service for them that will inherit salvation? Are they not all? There we go. Very good. Are they not all ministering servants? Angels in some ways help God's people. That's what we see here. In this case, we find that an angel delivers a message to Paul. And what's he say to him as we look at the first part of verse 24? All right, do not be afraid. We'll say a little bit more about that in just a little bit. When you look at, and your translation may or may not have the definite article, but in verse 23, he says, For there stood by me this night an angel, not just of God, but he says the angel of what? The angel of the God. Now, there is a definite article in the original text, and your translation hopefully has a definite article there. Why would Paul, if he's going to talk about this message from an angel, why would he say it is from the God that I serve? 
Well, mine says to whom I belong. Oh, okay. But does it still have the God? Yes. Okay. All right. We're going to talk about the belonging in just a little bit. But let's talk about the fact that Paul talks about the God. The God I serve. There's false gods. Yeah. If you're a sailor, do you think you're probably going to be a religious person? No. You don't think you're going to have any kind of God? Now, you may not live like we would think a religious person would live, but do you think you're going to have any kind of deity? Maybe. Uh, yeah, you're probably going to have some false God, some pagan God, maybe an idol, because if you're out there in the sea and you've got something like a hurricane or a typhoon, you know, there's no SOS. You want somebody to appeal to, and even if you are not thinking correctly as far as your your uh, religious deity, you want someone or something that has hopefully greater power than what you do. So Paul makes that point. And I think that was probably made, he uses a definite article to say, look, there is this God, um, I serve him, and he uses the present tense there, uh, I constantly serve him, and I belong to him. We think about perhaps 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says you were bought with a price, he'd been bought with a price, and he belonged to God. But he wants perhaps his sailors to realize that this God is not just any God, it's not the God perhaps that they have ever heard of, but it is the God who uh, is going to deliver them from the storm. Now, one other quick point here. Uh, this is kind of alluded to by Mom just a minute ago. He says, I serve, present tense, this God. Now, how long have they been on the ship, roughly? About two weeks. All right, about two weeks, many days. So, uh, how often would Paul have worshipped, at least as a minimum? Daily. Well, he might have, but at a minimum. Yeah, we would think on Sunday, right? So you got at least one Sunday that has taken place, possibly two Sundays that have passed. Um, now, we're going to have some information as far as confusion about the days, but uh, it does seem like they do have at least some understanding of that. Even if they couldn't figure out which day was Sunday, if you're Paul and you're on this ship, are you going to worship? Do you think some people on the ship might be able to see that? They might, if you know you're singing, if you're praying, if you're doing some of the other things, I mean, you can't obviously take up a collection. We don't know about the Lord's Supper. Uh, but you can at least do some of the things which would be tied in with worship. And Paul says, there's this God that I serve. Maybe you've seen me uh, offer something to him as far as a prayer or verbal praise. And this God has communicated with me through this angel. And the angel has said, I've got to go somewhere. Who do I have to see? Caesar. All right, Caesar would, of course, would have been the ruler of Rome, and maybe from a previous class, you remember who this emperor was. This was Caesar, okay, or, or Nero is the guy that we're looking for. Nero was someone who became a very bad ruler. He was not always bad. He did have a few years uh, where, he, where he did reasonably well. All right, when you see that adverb must in there, hopefully that's in your Bible, I must stand before Nero. We go back and use the illustration that we have used many times. A triangle must, have, must have three sides. That is that word here. So when Paul says, I must stand before Nero, this is something that's going to happen. I have got to get there, and I will get there. Now, if I heard that, I'm on board the ship that's being tossed around like a hurricane, and this guy says, my God that I serve says, I must get to Nero. I will get to Nero. I will get to the emperor. What would you be thinking if you were one of the other 270 plus people on board? Well, you might be thinking that, yeah. I, you know, being tossed around like a cork, you know, uh, in a turbulent batch of water. Uh-huh. But if you had any faith in him, 
What would you might be thinking? Yeah, because if you're going to get there, what about me? What about us? Is it just going to be you or is your God going to deliver us all? I'd be really curious about that. And Paul says, look, uh, I have an answer to that as well. When you look at what, the word which is translated stand, that was the proper word to describe standing before a judge. It simply reinforces the thought. And then the angel, Paul, makes it clear, promised that all those who were on board the ship had also survived the experience. Um, Paul is told to fear not. Now here's one of the places we have a special construction, and that special construction stops an action in progress. In other words, someone is doing something and you say, stop it. It's like, you know, two people arguing and you say, stop it. Uh, when you see that construction applied to Paul here in fear, or even the word fear, what does that tell you about Paul? The angel says to Paul, stop fearing. Sometimes we'll, we'll tell a person, don't fear. You know, just don't, don't even go down that road. But that's different than talking to a person who is terrified and saying, stop fearing. What does stop fearing tell us about Paul? Well, okay. Um, it seems like his faith is at least in the little of the uncertain category right now. All right. It's there's some reassurance there. Anything else, Brian? The stop fearing means that you have been fearing. Yeah, I think that would be where I would start as far as an initial point. We can look at Paul sometimes and say, well, he's the super you know hero. He never had any of the same issues or any of the same concerns, any of the same challenges that we have in life. But if you're telling someone to stop fearing, they have some fears. But you have to, I think, step back and look at this. If you're on a ship. You know, you don't have much light, hard to keep track of the days, and you're on this boat for a couple weeks and it feels like it's a constant hurricane, even the best Christian, do you think you're going to be shaken up some? I mean, I think any normal person would, would be. So uh, he certainly was in that category. But when you look at Paul, you have to realize that there are at least a couple times in the Bible where he is told by a heavenly message, stop fearing. Not do not fear, but stop fearing. So uh, you have that. Then this second point, which I think is very, very valuable. Uh, a person can go through something, and maybe it's a difficult time for them, and they, they never admit it. They could admit it. They could tell somebody that, but they just keep it quiet. Now, Paul could have um, told the people, look, this angel has showed up, and this angel has told me that we're all going to get through it. I'm going to see Caesar, and that's the end of the story. But he didn't do that. He openly admits that the angel told him to stop fearing. Paul publicly admits fear. Is there any valuable lesson in that? What's that big word today that politicians love? It starts with T. Oh, we're going to be, when we become president, we're going to be transparent. What's that mean? Well, <laughs> somebody says, <laughs> so what's that mean when somebody says we're going to be transparent? Well, okay, okay, truthful, yes, but there's maybe a little bit more to it. All right, we're, we're going to you know lay things out there. We're going to tell you how things are. We're going to uh, be very open and just have frank discussions with people. Uh, that's refreshing. It's not too refreshing when you don't get it, and it's promised. But uh, here you, you have Paul saying, look, I am going to tell you that, that I have some fears. I think that's also reassuring. 
when you look at him. And number three, the messenger obviously tells him to stop being in the grip of fear. Okay, uh, anything that you want to add or ask over that before we look at verse 24 in the word granted? Connor? So, because the angel comes and tells him not to fear. Stop fearing. My, stop fearing. If my chain of logic is right here, does that imply that he actually didn't have the power to stop the storm if he wanted I'm inclined to think that that is true because if he did, you would think, hey, guys, we're going to have a miracle here. The God of heaven has empowered me to do all kinds of things, and that would be true. But for whatever reason, or maybe he asked for that, there are a lot of things that we don't know, but maybe he asked for that power and and the answer was no. Um, I think that's a possibility because of what we're going to see from the map and the ship. But it is interesting that he is in this desperate state. He's already been promised. I think it's, uh, can we go back to Acts chapter 23 and verse 11 maybe? And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, for as thou hast testified concerning me at Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. So four chapters back, he's already been promised that he's going to go to Rome. But now he's struggling with that, and maybe kind of like Abraham, you know, thought maybe God needed a little help as far as getting a baby. Uh, He's thinking, God, give me the power to stop the storm. But we're going to see, as far as where the ship ends up, that that probably would not have been the best choice. So he may not have had the power, or maybe he didn't, God denied it. But um, it's kind of interesting to kick that around a little bit. Trace? It's kind of like us saying, don't be concerned, but this is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, he knows he's going to end up in the deep after listening to what people say. Yeah. He started off with fear not, but, and then he listed all this stuff. And that's nature, you're going to be terrified. That's very difficult for us when somebody says, trust me, Uh I have it in hand. Somebody says, well, I, I need more information. I need more details. I, 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 I. And we try to shut them down and say, it's covered. Don't worry about it. It's, it's a natural human tendency. Anybody else before we look at the word granted in verse 24? Okay. Let's take a look at that word as well. Um, what would you say that that word implies? I know that's kind of a general question. But the word granted. Let's go back and read the verse. Saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must stand before Caesar, and lo, God hath granted. He's granted thee all of them that sail with thee. All right. That's a good beginning point. Anything else? Guaranteed. There's that too. Anything else? It's a yeah. Why would God grant this, the safety? Yeah, that's the answer that I was, you know, kind of fishing for. Uh, so it doesn't specifically say that Paul was praying, but when you see that word granted, you can kind of connect the dots and you assume that Paul was praying. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about that. He's praying about this storm. We've already seen that they've been out there on the boat for many days. We know that there's going to be a couple of weeks involved as we get a, little, get a little further into the text. But he's praying about this. The angel says that this has been granted, but even though the prayer has been granted, what's still taking place? The storm. Isn't that an interesting point about prayer? Angel says, your prayer has been granted. Well, I'm thinking if it's been granted, you know, we're out in the clear. But why are we still in a hurricane? That's a head scratcher for us. So when you look at this chapter, that is one of the great points. There's another thing that's kind of interesting as well. Uh, Sometimes verb tenses are very important, and that's what we have here. The word granted is expressed with the perfect tense. So that would be a way of saying this matter has already been settled. 
Paul, it's already been determined that you're going to make it and everybody else on board is going to make it. Well, that surely did not look like that was true. Once again, sometimes people, when it comes to prayer, they simply need to wait a little longer. Uh, God, you know, what's going on? God says, as Teresa said, we've got it handled. You just need to hold on a little bit longer. Okay, when you look at the um, end of verse 24, you've got a little more information. Paul, his prayer has not only been granted as far as it's going to get worked out, it's going to work out for him, and it's going to work out for everybody else on board. There's another really helpful point here. Would you say, as far as that word granted, Paul has been praying not only for his own safety, but he's been praying for the safety of others on board? Yeah. And would you say that based on the word granted, because of what we have said about that word, that those people, those other 270 plus people on board were saved because of Paul's word, his, his prayers. Yeah. So if Paul was able to do that, his prayers were able to preserve or save the lives of some people. And we would assume that, uh, you know, maybe 99% of those other people, we've got Luke on board. We've also got Aristarchus on board. So three Christians out of nearly 300 people, uh, maybe a couple more. We don't know that, but certainly the majority were not Christians. Uh, what about today, as far as Christians praying for non-Christians? How would that apply, or how would that relate, based on what we have in Acts chapter 27? All right. Christians can have an impact. Think back to Genesis chapter 18. Who's the one who's interceding for Sodom and the surrounding areas? Abraham. All right, so he's pleading for God, and he finally, you know, has the last petition. God, if there are how many left? All right, if we can just have 10 righteous souls left. So Abraham, uh, the area was destroyed because there were not 10 righteous people. Here Paul's prayers uh, save about 300. Let's get back to Matthew chapter 24 for just a second. This is where Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he makes this statement in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 22. It's easy to overlook, and it may not be the first thing that comes to mind when we're looking in Acts chapter 27, but there's a good correlation there. Matthew chapter 24 Verse 22, who has it and would like to read? I may ask you to read it twice. Carol? And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Okay, let's stop right there. Jesus, in talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, he says, unless that time period, the destruction, the devastation, uh, this coming against Jerusalem, unless that time had been reduced, the battle had not gone on as long as it was going to go, what would be true? Nobody. Nobody, would, nobody would be saved. All right, so... The time period has to be shortened so everybody's not wiped out. And then what's the rest of the verse say? But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Well, interesting. He says the days need to be shortened and the days will be shortened, but that will be due to what? Because of the, the Christians, the elect, the saved. How interesting that here is a whole city that was savaged but it was not destroyed a hundred percent because of God's people. Now, taking that information and applying that to our day and time, would it be right then to say that if we have Christians in a nation, we could choose America or any of the other nations on the earth, that those Christians are truly like salt, that they are, if you will, a preserving influence, that they can help moderate, if you will, God's judgment in some areas. True or false? That is true. You see that from Acts chapter 27. Uh, oftentimes the world will talk about hate in the morning lesson. The world often hates you know, Bible-believing people, uh, Christians. But in this particular case, Scripture shows 
that they do a lot more than a lot of people realize. Anything that you want to add or ask before I make a couple more points? Okay. Paul had faith in the angel's message. He also had um, a desire to share that message with the people who were on board the ship. And he tells them what? You be of good cheer. You think good things. He says, you be optimistic because I believe, or your translation may use trust, and that is a present tense verb. I believe the God that I serve is going to do exactly as the angel said. Now, let's back up just a little bit. Paul, what's his status on this ship? He's a prisoner. All right. Everybody knows he's a prisoner. I mean, you got the centurion there, and, and uh, he is allowed the leave that we talked about earlier. But now, as you look at what's taking place, it looks like Paul the prisoner sort of becomes Paul who? Uh, maybe even almost the captain. I mean, he's kind of directing things. Uh, they didn't listen to him before, but now it seems like they're favorably disposed to hear what he has to say, and he definitely has assumed more of a leadership role. So it's very, very interesting uh, how that works out. One source said, um, how a crisis does not make a person, a crisis shows what a person is, is made of and tends to bring true leadership to the fore, and that is certainly right. Okay, a couple of the quick points here, and then we'll pick up with verses 27 through 29. As you get down to verse 26, Paul says, uh, again, he's believing in God that things would go just as the angel has said. And he says, uh, there's a certain island. And he says, what what uh, needs to take place concerning that island? Yeah, there's that. Is there anything else? Somebody read for me verse 26. Ah, uh, there we go. Once again, how be it we must. When you see that word must in the Bible, ask yourself, is this one of those places where we've got the triangle? Must. And this is one of those places. We must be cast upon a certain island. If that's that triangle word, what's that mean? We're going to get there. There is no way that that's going to fail. I am telling you guys, that you can, you know, Put it down in stone. I'm giving you 100% certainty that we are going to be cast on some island. Now, if you hear that, you might have a couple of thoughts. What might those be? Ship is going to be lost, but we're going to be cast on an island. Yeah, well, I think that might be one of the questions that comes to mind. How quickly? Because you're already out there in the typhoon, right? So if an island is good, well, that seems to be good news. If you were a sailor, and even now, if you're a sailor in ancient times, you're out there in the hurricane, you, you, even with big ships today, uh, which, what's really your hope? No rescue vessel is going to come. You, you want to get to land. So, I mean, if there's an island that is livable, there's food there, uh, not filled with poisonous snakes or other crazy stuff, that's, that's good news. So that really is your best hope. Anything else? If somebody says, we must, it is imperative uh, that we get to this island and we will. Any other thoughts go through your mind? All right. Um, I'm wondering too, though, if I get to that island, will we be rescued? Or is that going to be the place where we die? So I'm still going to have some questions, but at least at this stage, that does sound like that was, that was really good news. Little by little, Paul is gaining a lot of respect. We're going to see that implied from some soldiers in verses 31 and 32. The centurion was not the only soldier on board. And even when we get down to verses 34 through 36, the passengers, uh, whoever they were, prisoners, possibly some others, also seem to have a growing level of respect for him. Okay, anything that you want to add or ask before we go down to 27 through 29? Okay. But, notice the contrast. 
But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven uh, to and fro in the sea of Adria, about midnight the sailors surmised, that's a key word, that they were drawing near to some country. And they sounded and found twenty fathoms, and after a little space they sounded again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing less happily they, uh, we should be cast ashore on rocky ground, they let go four anchors from the stern and wished for day. Now here's where we have the fourteenth day. They had been out uh, on that ship which should have been a quick trip down to Phoenix, but it's turned into two weeks, and it was a nightmare. Luke says what as far as how the boat was was handling and the sea? They were... All right, driven up and down. What's that sound like? Big waves. Yeah, big waves. Maybe you feel like being yanked back and forth. It's just not a pleasant experience on land, and certainly you can imagine how bad that would be. Everybody on board was probably seasick. All right, now, this is a place where people sometimes ask some questions, and we don't have all the details that we might like. But people have said, look, if there's no sun, there's no moon, no stars, uh, how do you know the two weeks passed? How can you count the days? Hmm? Well, but if you don't really have too much that you can see as far as visibility in the heavens. Yeah, I think there may have been enough there where you can kind of get a general sense where they can say, okay, it looks like it's daylight again. Uh, so I don't know that that's a um, real strong objection that people have, but sometimes you'll, you'll see that people uh, ask about that. All right, the Sea of Adria, um, if you look at that, you're really describing kind of the Mediterranean, and that's about 500 miles off coast. Um, I'm going to read some stuff to you in just a little bit. This comes from some people who have great seamanship skills, and they love to check out all the nautical stuff. That's really outside, um, you know, the stuff that I normally do, and it's going to be explained, I think, a lot better if you can look at the map and hear the quotes. But we'll get to that in just a second. Let's take a look at the time. What time is it? No. All right, there we go. You were basically right, Steve. I always think about that. I was in a class on Acts chapter 2 uh, several years ago, and they asked me how many people, teacher asked how many people were baptized on Pentecost. I said 3,000, and he checked it wrong. I argued with him. He says, read the text. I said, well, it was about 3,000. And uh, that was one of the few things that got wrong in the guy's class, and he would not relent. So when I see the word about, I always think back to that class. So... Oh, another story. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, so it's about midnight. And what's he say? I pointed out that key word. The sailors, they surmise. They begin to suspect something. And what do they suspect? They're beginning to think. And that's it's expressed with the imperfect tense. This is kind of little by little. It's not, oh, bang, uh, we think this because we saw or we heard this, we felt this. But this is we're beginning to think. The process is beginning to unfold. Uh, we're starting to conclude that we're we're drawing where? We're getting close to some land. land. Okay, a couple questions. Uh, about midnight, what would you expect of the sailors? Where would you think they would be? All right, we think that they would be in bed, but obviously with the hurricane going on, they're probably not spending very much time in the sack. And now they're surmising around midnight. This this process is unfolding. What do you think causes them to surmise that land is close? Brent? What's that? The presence of birds. Well, that could be. Um, you You could have that. Okay, a lessening or an increasing? A lessening. It was uh, not so deep. Okay. All right. 
Could it have gone the other way? Anybody ever been in an area where there was water and the water was crashing up against the wall? You know, I mean the breakers. All right. That's what I think is going on here. And I think that's what's going on here because some people who are really familiar with seamanship have gone back to this area and they, they believe that they've actually found out about where this was. And you can see um, on the map, you can kind of uh, look as far as Crete and you can see the area of Malta. Um, I'm just going to read this stuff for you because I think it's it's a lot easier to explain. If the ship was a westward trajectory toward Malta, and they're highlighting here St. Paul's Bay. Uh, that's an easy place to remember if you want to check it out. Uh, the area uh, is famous for breakers, uh, St. Paul's Bay. They would have passed within a quarter of a mile of the low rocky point of Cora, where the breakers are particularly violent in an easterly gale. And that's absolutely consistent with what Luke is describing here. A little bit more. They would have seen the breaking foam, but nothing of the shore of its configuration. If the wind was not currently at gale strength, the ship approaching from the east could hear the breakers at Cora point from a mile and a half away. Now you think about that, able to hear the breaking uh, of the water on the rocks a mile and a half away. That seems to me to be consistent with their surmising. Hey, did you hear that? Uh, yeah. And then you get a little closer and a little closer and all of a sudden, hey, we've got water rushing against the rocks. And if you hear that, you're on board this storm-tossed ship, what's that going to do to you? Good news or bad news? It's going to... Well, yeah, we're thinking we're getting close to the land, but we don't want to come up on the rocks. So you have actually the word fear here, something that they are experiencing, something that they are surmising. Uh, and again, I think that's that's probably the answer. It's putting the fear of God to them, uh, fear of God into them. Okay, uh, if a strong northeast wind kept driving the ship leeward, minimizing its advance as it tacked starboard, 14 days would be just about right to bring the ship to this location. And that's exactly the amount of time that Luke describes. A little bit more, had the ship been driven at a uniform rate and in a straight line, which that wasn't the case because of the storm, it would have covered this distance in slightly over 13 days. Now think about what I'm saying. Uh, this, from the area of Crete over here to Malta, if they had had decent weather and they had sailed, you know, this just straight line, good weather, they would have made it in 13 days. But we're not talking about 13 days of good weather, we're talking about 14 days of bad weather. As it was after they headed the ship toward the north-northwest in the effort to keep from being driven from Crete to Syracuse, those quicksands, they were driven across the stretch of open sea by the northeast winds in 14 days. During the previous 14 days, the ship had been driven some 474 miles from Crete to Malta. Accounting for that little time lost at Cotta, uh, they averaged about 36 miles each 24 hours. A little bit more, it seems almost indisputable that this ship was blown off course and followed a path picked by God and achieved through this brutal storm. In addition to the information in the uh, in what we just talked about, there was one significant island between southern Sicily and the northern coast of Africa that is Malta. Malta is only 17 miles long and 9 miles wide. What were the odds of being thrust upon this tiny body of land in that region of water that spans some 300 miles? Clearly, providence is involved in the navigation. Now, that seems a little complicated. Basically, he's saying, uh, take your map again and take a look at that. Uh, you've got about 400 miles there, straight course, 14 days. They're on this ship in this cyclone, and they end up, uh, in, or 13 days to get to that area. Uh, they end up in that same area, even though you got this storm where you can't control the boat. And there's really only one place that you can find out there, 
uh, in that body of water, and that is this small island. So it would be like saying, uh, you know, we're going to take a cork and we're going to drop it in the ocean as you got all the water turbulence. We're just going to be up in the helicopter and throw out the cork and it's going to land in this cup. What would the chance of that be? I mean, you're thinking, you know, a 400-mile body of water, and it's all turbulent, and you've got this little cup floating in the ocean, and you're going to drop in a cork or a bobber. Uh, that's impossible. And yet, that's really what God did. He got him to this spot in this storm. Uh, so, when you read through the account, that I don't think really comes through, unless you're a map person and a nautical person, but I mean, it is an amazing illustration of providence. And uh, they got to just the right place in an amazing amount of time. And again, I think that goes back to, Connor, what you were saying earlier. Even if Paul did have the ability to stop the storm, seeing how this turned out would have been, I think, even more amazing, where Paul was able to say, hey, look, you know, this is my God. He got us here, and we'll see what happens on the island. So it is truly a spectacular, um, uh, even though it's kind of condensed, spectacular story. Betty? I think that's true. I mean, you know, they surely were familiar with that island, but um, again, he's just, you know, God's got it in hand and he's going to take care of it. So it is truly um, either great providence, um, maybe you can argue that there was a miraculous element to this as well, but it was truly spectacular. I have to wonder a little bit, uh, building on that, th there's this centurion. We don't know how much we talked before as far as in the area of Caesarea, uh, he may have known Cornelius from Acts chapter 10. That's possible. And maybe Cornelius had been an influence on him. We don't know how much he, he got as far as Paul's two-year stint in uh, that prison in Caesarea. So he may have had some exposure to Paul. He's had this exposure, and then he's going to see the island and all the other stuff that takes place. And then maybe he'll spend a little more time with Paul at Rome. I wonder, we'll never know, at least in this life, but I wonder if the centurion didn't become a Christian. I mean, if you're with this guy and you see all this stuff and your life has been preserved, I mean, at what point do you have to say in the, the personality that we've associated with centurions, they're usually pretty thoughtful, they're usually pretty reflective people from what we find in the scripture. I would think that anybody who, who had that kind of emotional makeup would have said, uh, I've seen enough. You know, tell me how to serve your God because I want to serve him. So it might have been a really rough way to become a Christian. Uh, certainly not the smoothest path. But um, if he did, he certainly had some stories to tell. Anybody else? Okay, let's make a couple more points here and then kind of see where we are. We've got uh, the people on board, they, they need to start checking the depth of the water. And that tells you again, we've got, as I said, the word fear in the text. And that uh, reaffirms for us that they're thinking, hey, um, you know, something's going on here. and We need to know exactly what's taking place. So they would have had, uh, maybe have used something like this before to check the depth of a water. I know people who... Um, Ice fish. Uh, if you do that, you're out there on the ice and maybe you're at a lake you've never fished before, a new spot. They make uh, like a little sinker and there's a little clip that you put on the sinker and you put that on, on your uh, ice jig and then you just, you know, let that fall to the bottom and then you're able to bring that up and say, okay, we're six feet or we're 20 feet, whatever that is. They had kind of a similar thing in this day and time. They had uh, ropes, long ropes. And they would uh, go down to a fathom. A fathom would have been six feet. So you hold your hands out and, you know, fingertip to fingertip would be about six feet. So they would knot that rope every six feet. And then you would be able to uh, drop that rope over the side of the boat. 
and then measure it and say, okay, this is where we are. Um, you may have a footnote uh, when you look at 100 and the first depth reading, how big, uh, how uh, far down was that? Anybody know? All right. So if each fathom is six feet, all right, we're going to use we're going to use our in-house calculator here, right? All right. So we've got twenty fathoms. A fathom is six feet. So six times twenty would be all right. We've got one hundred and twenty. All right. Then we go to the next reading, and how many would that be? Fifteen. All right. So we've got fifteen fathoms times six feet, Mr. Calculator. All right, ninety. Now they estimate, and again, this this comes from the people who spend time out in the sea, but they estimate that to go, especially in this area that we're talking about, from 120 fathoms to 90 fathoms, uh, they estimate that that's 30 minutes. So if you are in 120 feet of water, 30 minutes later, you are in 90 feet of water, are you concerned? You better be, because it looks like you are headed towards something, shore, rocks, and especially if you can't see, this is definitely going to be a problem. Now, here is one of the places where archaeology has really been kind of helpful. They've actually found what you might think of as some anchors or some weights, and they're hollow at the bottom. They figured out that people would put some kind of grease in there, and they would drop these over to not only measure the depth, but when they pull them up... Um, We've seen people take core samples of different things. For example, you know, they might drill into the ice and they go down and they get a core sample from X number of feet down and maybe a little further. Uh, this would be kind of like a, a sample of what was on the bottom of the ocean floor. Why would that be helpful? Yeah, we can kind of maybe get a, not, not only a depth gauge, but we can also get some idea as far as, I mean, is this sand? Are we getting some rocks? You know, uh, so uh, they were not fools. They uh, were mindful that they had limited technology, but they tried to use it very, very well. And at this particular stage of the game, uh, they're getting worried, even though they've had this great reassurance from Paul.